This is the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, where founders share how they started their companies and got filthy rich or crash and burn. Each episode features revenue numbers, customer counts, and other insider information that creates business news headlines. We went from a couple of hundred thousand dollars to 2.7 million. I had no money when I started the company. It was $160 million, which is the size of many IPOs. We're bootstrapped. We have like 22,000 customers. With over 5 million downloads in a very short amount of time, major outlets like Inc. are calling us the fastest growing business show on iTunes. I'm your host, Nathan Latka, and here's today's episode. Hello, everyone. My guest today is John Andrews. He spent the last two decades helping retailers, distributors, and brands optimize their omni-channel strategies and operations. Before his current company, Select, John was VP of product marketing and strategy for Oracle Commerce, coming to Oracle via the Indeca acquisition where John was VP of marketing and product management. He started his career with Deloitte and uh, Deloitte Consulting Strategy and Operations Practice, and he holds a BA in economics and computer science from Boston College and re- received his master's gr- degree from the Harvard Business School. John, are you ready to take us to the top? Yeah, sounds great. Let's All right. It. So tell us about Select. What do you do and what's your business model? How do you make money? Great. So we are uh, at the highest level. We're a predictive analytics technology company. Uh, we are focused uh, primarily on retail. Uh, the company was actually founded out of MIT uh, by a couple of MIT professors who'd been collaborating on a line of research for the better part of the last decade, uh, specifically around this idea of understanding customer choice, uh, which you know, I'm happy to give a little bit of detail on. But the, the main area that we're focused on with retailers is around inventory optimization. So helping retailers uh, optimize inventory, optimize turns, reduce stockouts, reduce markdowns, et cetera. If you think about inventory, right, it's the, the largest number on a retailer's balance sheet. Uh, it's also, at the end of the day, the, the most important thing a retailer has to figure out, right? What products to bring into inventory, how much of them, in what assortment, and then how to allocate them to all their customer touch points in terms of stores, uh, fulfillment centers to get them shipped out to customers. If you can optimize that so that you've got the right products at the right place at the right time, you're going to make a lot more money. Really, and really in, tough. In, in retail right now, yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's an important thing. Yeah, I mean, look, I have always wondered how these retail entrepreneurs figure out not only what style of things to carry, but then multiply by another factor of complication because you have sizes, right? Different sizes, different colors. I mean, you have literally infinite choices. That is exactly the kind of thing I don't want to be doing because I like simplicity. So tell us how, I mean, can you give us an example of a store you're working with and how you help them double down on what's working through the data you provided? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, the the process that we help our customers with, right, is kind of through the, the, the merchandising and planning process and into the supply chain process, right? So uh, through kind of a, you can think of the inventory optimization cycle as kind of a plan, buy, allocate, and fulfill process, right? And on the planning side, we're helping our customers and, and our customers include folks like Urban Outfitters, Anthropology, Free People, uh, Aldo, uh, Montreal, up in Montreal, the, the shoe manufacturer, designer, and, and, and retailer, Saks Fifth Avenue, et cetera. Um, and, uh, if you think about that, uh, if you think about that process on the planning side, right, what we're helping retailers figure out is, uh, very specific as they're making their strategic planning, uh, decisions. If they're figuring out how much inventory dollars to put towards 
uh, you know, following the trends and understanding where understanding where the demand is, right? Understanding should I be going bigger into uh, women's clothes versus men's clothes at the macro level, and then figuring out, you know, something just as, as specific as attributes of specific items for shoes. Should I be going with uh, riding boots versus ballet slippers and what colors are trending, et cetera. There's, you know, as you mentioned a minute ago, the combinatorial explosion of all of the different uh, decisions that need to be made and the attributes associated with that in terms of, you know, trends changing, uh, the amounts that need they need to spend. It's incredibly complex. Uh, the way that these decisions are made today is generally based on gut instinct and Excel spreadsheets, right? And, you know, our tagline is br uh, bringing science to the art of retail. It very much still is an art form, especially with fashion retails, which is the area that we've had the, the, the most success. Um, uh, it's John, how are you making the brain smarter though, right? So your, your system, your engine, what people are paying for is only as good as how well you've trained it and maybe measured by number of lines of data you've put through it, right? How are you training this thing? So it, it's a good question. There's a, there's a few elements here, right? When people think about training, one of the things they think about is, is machine learning, right? In terms of, you know, the, the data that you're bringing through and how are you, uh, how are you optimizing that model? One of the things that we're doing is, uh, understanding, sure, you know, you can, you can look at a product that you're looking to sell and, and, uh, train the model to look at images of other products you sold or other data, right. To kind of come up with the model. That's important, but more specifically, uh, it's getting to a deeper level of detail in terms of understanding customer choice and customer preference. So let me give you a, a specific example, right? A customer walks into a store and they buy, they buy a product, right? Great. Every retailer is going to use that data and that information, that transaction level data to optimize their operations in some way. Right. But what if you knew in addition to what that customer bought? What if you also knew it was available to them when they made that selection? Right. What if you knew what their options were when they made that choice? Said another day, what, do, what if you knew what they didn't buy in addition to what they bought? Right. I now have a sense of the customer preference. Uh, I have a sense of what their intent was when they made that when they made that selection. And when you look at every single uh, interaction with a customer, when you look at uh, the 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 intent when they choose one product over another, and you can do that by understanding you know what what was in inventory in a particular store. You can do that by looking at browse information. If you go to a, a retailer's website and you look at five product detail pages, but then you only put two of them in your shopping cart, that's context. We're now able to build up a model, a pretty robust model we call our, our choice engine, right, is a choice model that allows us to then answer the question, not just what did somebody buy, but what would they have preferred to buy if given the choice across an assortment of products, right? Because what's happened in the past isn't necessarily, wasn't optimized, right? Maybe you didn't have the, the, the best assortment in front of them, right? I bought uh, a purple button-down shirt, but maybe the blue one wasn't available, and I would have bought that if it uh, if it was part of the overall assortment. So being able to normalize against that and then build out that model now you're now you have to as you start to bring in new products into the mix, something that you've never you're designing you've never sold before. That's where then the machine learning comes into play to say, okay, help me build a model of this product that I can then bounce against my choice model to, identi to identify what that demand is going to look like. When you do that right, we've seen customers with anywhere from, you know, at, at points five to 7% increase in revenue uh, to, you know, upwards of, you know, 13 to 14% increase in gross margin. 
Yeah, I mean, look, many, I mean, you saying all this, I, I can't help but think, and I'm sure people listening are thinking, yeah, this is why Amazon is so big. They have the best data collection engine anywhere, and they can make it smarter than anybody. I mean, you even mentioned, you gave the example, you like product pages because you can see what was yeah. viewed. You can't necessarily see that in the store. You know it was there, and you know what I bought and didn't buy, but you don't know if I picked something up and put it back down, or, I mean, I don't think you do, unless you have trackers and things in every single store. Yeah. No. Now the technology is getting better where there are in-store sensors. There's RFID where you can see what goes into the uh, dressing room, what, you know, what comes out and then what goes up and people buy. The reality is, Nathan, is that you don't actually need that level of granularity to get the signal out of understanding customer preference, right? Part of the, part of the technology, you need to identify what the selection set is that people are likely looking at. Just by understanding what was in inventory and then what the customer bought gives us significantly more signal than just the transaction level information of what a customer bought. Now, you, you, you brought up Amazon, right? And everybody in the retail perspective is looking at Amazon in terms of what they're doing. One of the benefits that Amazon has is just an enormous amount of data, yeah. right? The challenge that other retailers have, even though they feel as though they have a lot of data, the issue is, is that they actually have very sparse data about an individual customer and uh, uh, individual products, and specifically with those customers interacting with those products, right? So the reality is uh, they need to be able to pull signal out of what is actually very sparse data. Um, and that's one of the things that makes this extremely hard to kind of pull that signal out where that idea of understanding choice becomes, becomes critical. I get it. Yeah, what's the business model? How do you make money? So we're a SaaS-based subscription model. What we do is we take a customer's data, we run it through our engine, and then we expose that information uh, via a web-based interface that customers can interact with on real time. Okay. So I'm mentioning earlier from a, you know, the different solutions that I talked about on plan optimization, buy optimization. The, the interaction on the plan side is it's it's very interactive. Customers are doing optimization based on their constraints in terms of how much money they have for inventory, how much space they have sure. in a store. What's John, uh, what's the I don't mean to cut you off, but I want to get no, more of your story out before we have to wrap up. Um, give me yeah. a sense of customer size in terms of what are they paying you usually on average? I mean, are we talking like ten dollars or a million dollars or a thousand or? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's generally. Uh, so so the model is when we start working with a customer they'll start with a specific solution and focus initially on a specific category area. So as an example, they'll start within the women's shoes department, right? Or the men's, you know, all men's apparel. Um, and that, you know, the starting point is going to be somewhere between, you know, 400 to call it 400 to 500 K. Okay. Right? Kind per of on year. average uh, per year. Got it. Right. Based on, you know, it, and there's, you know, varying, uh, based on the customer size, the amount of SKUs that they yeah, have. But that's a good average, right? Yeah. yeah. Now then it will grow from there as they then expand the usage across different categories and as they grow the uh, across different uh, cost, uh, across different uh, uh, products, uh, the solution areas. Yeah. Yeah. So how, do you probably have a pretty predictable model in terms of a year one contract value will definitely grow by, you know, call it, you know, 40 percent in year two and another 30 percent in year three, et cetera. I mean, what are these people ultimately worth to you? What's the lifetime value of customer do you model? Uh, millions of dollars. It's generally in the three to $4 million range. Yep. Now, do you have anything, I mean, when, I don't know if you're high touch right now or not, but do you have enough of a cohort to be looking at and do you care about things like churn? 
absolutely care about things, uh, things, uh, <laughs> in terms of churn, we don't have, because our, uh, because our, our customers are generally much larger in contract size. I mean, those contract dollars are, that's a good, that's a good percentage of a customer's, uh, of a customer's, uh, spend, right. Yep. As they start to look at their spend. So it's not that we don't have, uh, the, the churn that we have had have been retailers that have been struggling financially. Totally. I mean, that's, uh, right. I mean, that's your biggest threat, right? I mean, that's why, exactly. honestly, that's why I'm guessing here, correct me if I'm wrong and I'm just being arrogant, but that's why fashion is your number one place because it's very hard for an Amazon to kill fashion brands when it's highly personable. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and frankly, we have a number of customers who uh, have recently restructured and come out of bankruptcy, right. And are turning things around and yeah. actually, uh, you know, using, using the insights that we're helping provide them to do that better. John, I would take all that credit if I was you. JC, anybody coming out of bankruptcy, it's John's, it's select. It has to be select. Amen, amen. <laughs> all right, John, what year was the company founded in? Company was founded in 2013. Okay, and you mentioned it, it's kind of spun out or something at MIT. I mean, were you there on the founding team or these professors brought you in after they got initial scale? Uh, so I came in right, uh, right as we were looking at our series a financing, okay. right? So, so basically the, the, the two professors, insanely smart guys had a couple of young developers working with them, uh, built up, uh, you know, beta, beta product, had a couple of beta customers. Uh, and then I joined on in, uh, this, the middle of 2014, basically just about a year later. And that's when we started scaling out the business. How much total have you raised? Uh, we've raised a total of 15 million. Okay. One, one five. five. Yeah. One five. Now was, was that series A? were you an EIR at the VC that led and it was contingent on you joining or no? No, it wasn't. Okay. No, I was not an, uh, not an EIR when, right when uh, I came on, uh, is basically the, the, the lead for that series A me interviewing them, them interviewing me. Um, and, uh, yeah, so the timing coincided there. And what are you at now today in terms of team size and is everyone based up there in Boston? Uh, the majority of the team is based here in Boston. We've got about 55 people at this point. Uh, we have uh, a handful of folks out in the West Coast. We've got a couple of folks in uh, a couple of folks in New York as well, and then a few sales folks scattered uh, geographically across the U.S. And but all the, U.S. based. Okay. And over the past kind of caught three and a half, four years, what have you guys scaled to in terms of total customers using you? Uh, so we're in the the middle teens at this point. Okay, good. So it's very much it's very much a high touch kind of high contract value model versus the opposite, low ARPU, high volume. Exactly. Got it. So we'll call it between 10 and 20 customers, enterprise counts. Yeah. Okay. Very fair. Um, what is churn right now annually? Uh, so we've had two customers who've churned over the past four years. Yeah. I always wonder, I mean, maybe you can educate me here because you're in it. I always wonder how companies like yours with so few customers, how you actually measure churn. Because if you lose one, it's a big impact on the business. Yeah. It's, it's a really hard thing to, it's a really hard thing to, uh, to measure, right? If, if our model was, you know, Hey, download something from, uh, you know, from our website, put your credit card in, we've got thousands of customers. You can measure based on cohorts much, much easier. Um, we, we, it's an enterprise sales model, right? It is, uh, and our revenue is, is much, it's much lumpier than I would like it to be, right? But when you're looking at the dollar amounts that we're, uh, that, we, that we're able to get from customers based on the value that we're providing to them and the high touch in terms of kind of working closely with them as they get up and running uh, and helping enable their teams, right? There's a, you know, there's a lot of value there, but it's, it's, it's very difficult to just kind of have the dashboard of, uh, of, of some of those metrics that you really like to measure from a SaaS perspective, just given the lumpiness. 
As I'm traveling the world on planes, trains, and automobiles, you know guys hear it, I'm closing loads of different deals, whether it's buying a company, closing a new account for gitlatka.com, you name it, I've gotta do it. And part of my issue is signing documents while I'm on the road. So I just found this new tool, I'm using it pretty aggressively, it's called Sign Easy. So you can get started for free at gitsigneasy.com forward slash podcast. You'll see contracts that I've signed there and boy oh boy are they big and they work and the app is so easy to use. Get started today at gitsigneasy.com forward slash podcast. Your, your chart, when you say lumpy, I mean, it, your, your revenue growth chart month over month probably looks much more like a staircase than it does a ski slope, right? It's, uh, a, a, yeah, a little more jagged staircase yeah. than I'd like to. It's going up <laughs> to, to the right, right, but not every uh, step's the same size. Yeah, no, I understand. And now in terms of size, I mean, look, if you're in the low teens at the contract rise, you said you guys are well past the $6 million AR mark at this point, correct? If I just multiply those? Uh, yeah, I think we're, we're just a little bit, uh, we're just a little bit lower than that. Okay. So somewhere in that range, maybe some yep. early discounts or something like that. Yep. Um, what are you growing at right now? Year over year, would you say? Uh, so last year it was, uh, it's about two and a half X. Oh, wow. Uh, Holy mackerel. Yeah. yeah. But that's okay. You, you know, you're, you're coming from a small, uh, you're coming from a small number. At the that numbers point, aren't right? huge yet. Yeah. yeah in 2015, <laughs> right. That number was based on, uh, you know, a few beta customers. Uh, starting to, you know, build out some of the larger contracts and then really, you know, scaling much more in 2017. Yeah. I mean, so if I'm going to try and do the math in my head here, if you're two and a half X scale back 12 months ago in December, 2016, you were somewhere around doing, doing about 150 grand a month or around 1.8 million annually. And now again, you're about two and a half X that. Exactly. Yeah. Good stuff. Good growth, healthy growth. Um, what do you look at in terms of, um, uh, sorry, in terms of revenue churn, I imagine you're net negative because you have so much expansion power. Is that accurate? Uh, yes, absolutely. Net negative. Yeah. That's the one thing. That's the one great thing about these high price points, right? Is it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an easy thing to drive expansion revenue on what, how many people on your team are dedicated to that sales and expansion? Uh, probably about 15 or so. Oh, 15. Okay, good. So about 30, 32%. Interesting. And then last question here, before we wrap up with the famous five, what do you like to keep payback period under? Uh, so our payback period, it's been, you know, it can, it can be in the six month range. Yeah. Well, that's so, not bad. So, yeah. It's uh, it's, it's relatively quick. Yeah. It's six now, months. Part of, part of that is, you know, getting, you know, getting the, getting the customer, you know, getting their data, getting them ramped up and getting them going. So Onboarding. Yeah. Them. Well, look at $400,000 ACV. I mean, if you spend six months on CAC, that's 200 grand and you recover it fairly quickly, fully onboarded. I mean, that's not bad at all. Um, interesting. Okay. And when was the last round that you raised? Uh, we closed it in the beginning of 2017. So January, 2017. Okay. So we're coming up on a year. So you're either in acquisition talks or you're raising, which one is it? <laughs> uh, neither right now. Come we've on, actually, John. We, we've got, we've still got, uh, we've still got a lot of money left in the bank. That's good. Uh, we'll start looking later in 2018. Okay. That's fair enough. Let's wrap up here yeah. with the famous five. Number one, what's the last business book you read? Oh, business book. Uh, so I was reading a bunch of books based on, uh, kind of brain and how the brain works. Nudge, I think was the, the last one most recently. Number two, is there a CEO that you're following or studying right now? Uh, so I, it's kind of embarrassing, but I just, I just read the Steve jobs book yeah. not too long ago. Um, and it's just kind of fascinating his personality, the cult of personality around him. Number three, besides your own, what's your favorite online tool? I'm sorry, besides what? Besides your own, what's your favorite online tool? Online tool. Uh, it's gotta be Uber. <laughs> All right. Number four, <coughs> how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Uh, 
seven and a half. I'm a sleep guy. I don't believe in, I don't believe in the, uh, yeah, I don't believe in the, I can only, you know, I only need to kill yourself, the kill yourself model. All right. What's your situation? Married, single, you have kids, uh, married, a seven year old daughter. Okay. One kiddo. And how old are you, John? Uh, great question. 43, 43. Last question. Take us back 23 years. What do you wish that your 20 year old self knew? Just that you can, you can do whatever you want, right? There's, there's absolutely nothing stopping you from going after something and, and just doing it, right? If you want some, just say, that's what you're going to do. And people will believe you. I love that. It's kind of, it's kind of crazy, it's but true. that's just how it is. It, Have the confidence. The more confidence you are, the more people believe you. They don't even question it. There you guys have it no. from John 2013, joined up with some professors as they were raising capital around their company called Select, which helps a lot of mainly fashion brands, but I imagine other brands as well, but mainly fashion brands understand how to stock, right? How to manage inventory. It's their biggest expense item. They've signed up about 16, 17, 18 enterprise accounts with an ACV of somewhere between 350 and 450 first year revenue. They're growing well they about two and a half x to year over year going from about 1.8 million in ARR run rate in 2016 to about six ish million today so healthy growth super healthy payback period of under six months with their team of 55 up there in Boston John thank you for taking us to the top yeah my pleasure thanks for the time I appreciate it